You watch the Fed very carefully, you analyze every word, you try to see where interest rates are going, try to see what the Fed's doing. There's an old adage, don't fight the Fed. Hello there, how are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. This show is brought to you by BCB Group. BCB Group provides online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry, and yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about the difficulty I was having finding a bank, and they also understand Bitcoin. And they reached out to me, so I've moved my business banking across to BCB, and I could not be happier. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds, and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Next up, it is Compass Mining, but they are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of Compass, and I am back mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for nine months with Compass now, and I've already mined 0.66 Bitcoin, which has paid off two of my S19s already. Now any of you can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass has launched their Compass Score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is, based on a number of factors like price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes Bitcoin mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you are interested in mining, or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Next up, it is Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm only buying right. We're hodlers. We're not sellers. I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I have set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. So all you need to do is head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade over $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. I'm excited to announce my new sponsor, Cake Wallet, who I've recently started using as my mobile wallet for Bitcoin. Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both your security and privacy because it doesn't share your important information with unnecessary third parties. And with Cake Wallet, not only can you hodl Bitcoin, but you can easily pay privately with Monero. It has advanced features for Bitcoin, including coin control and automatic address switching, and the app is designed to make it super easy to set up your wallet and back up your private keys. Now, if you want to find out more and check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Apple or Google App Store. How are you doing, Steve? I'm fantastic. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. Okay, so uh, last time I saw you in Nashville, mm-hmm. we sat down, we had a conversation, and you said to me, yeah, Pete, the top of the market is going to be about October. 
and uh, it was actually, I think it was November 9th. So you pretty much called the top. Yeah. November 9th was my birthday. So I was trying to get it in a little bit before that. I didn't listen to your advice. <laughs> I did. November 9th is your birthday. It is. Huh. I'll tell you a story about November the 9th after this. Um, and I completely didn't listen to you. And I held through it. And I'm still holding. And I should have listened to everything you said. What did you know that we didn't know? That was voodoo, man. No, it's not really voodoo. It's uh, it's called watching the Fed. Um, you know, I, I came from the world of fixed income. And you watch the Fed very carefully. You analyze every word. You try to see where interest rates are going. You try to see what the Fed's doing. There's an old adage, don't fight the Fed. And I was watching rumbling. So, so first of all, in the summer, there was inflation. And the Fed was saying, oh, no, it's uh, transitory, right? Yeah. And the uh, Biden administration was saying, oh, it's transitory. Well, it, it wasn't transitory. And we all knew it. You know, We saw prices going up. And uh, they, were, they continued to go up, obviously. So around September, um, September, October, we really started watching the Fed change their tune. And um, I, I, I watched what Chairman Powell was saying, watched what the rest of the Fed was saying, and they were starting to believe that inflation was setting in, even though publicly they were dismissing it. So um, I assumed that the Fed would begin to start unwinding its balance sheet and possibly start raising rates as soon as uh, inflation got bad enough. So October is about the time that the uh, that the Fed announced that they were going to start, you know, that they were going to slow down the uh, purchases on this balance sheet. Anytime that happens, markets are going to start dropping, all markets, right? So yeah, October, November, about the same. Um, but really what happened was all markets from October really peaked. NASDAQ, S&P, the bond market, crypto, all of it. Bitcoin peaked in November. Um, Bitcoin also doesn't track the rest of risk markets exactly. It still tracks it right now. But but that's really the event that happened. I was just watching watching the Fed and I'm still watching the Fed. And I don't think that any risk assets are going to go back up. They're going to continue to grind down until the Fed changes its tune. A lot of people were calling for 100k Bitcoin, 200k Bitcoin, and I ignored my friend Steve. I was like, "No, come on, Steve. We're clearly going to shoot over 100k." And, and uh, I think, obviously, uh, a lot of us are naive. I'm not somebody who's worked in the markets. I've not. This is your career, right? You've done this for a long time, and uh, I wouldn't even have known that uh, what happens at the Fed influences. You know, the Bitcoin market, the Bitcoin price. It just didn't cross my mind. I thought we were just this weird independent market. <laughs> We go to the moon, we forget about all that, but we're obviously intrinsically linked to the rest of the economy now, what, what right. happens. Um, and uh, so I want to ask you about that. So you say unwinding the balance sheet, but then you said slow down asset purchase. So they're still increasing the size of the balance sheet, but at a slowing rate, or are they actually unwinding the balance sheet? Yeah, they're actually, and you pointed it out, they're two different things, right? Um, what happened starting last year was the Fed slowed down its purchases. They were on a clip to purchase a certain amount of assets every month. They began slowing it down. And by the time March hit, they weren't adding any more. And then starting in April, they started unwinding it. So the unwind started happening in April. And then, of course, we got you know a rate hike in April that a lot of people really didn't expect. Uh, so, so, so rate hikes plus unwinding the balance sheet is is 
basically taking liquidity out of the system. And that liquidity is what people have used to make um, investments in risk assets. And when, when they're buying assets, what, what exactly are they buying? Mostly they're buying U.S. treasuries. So, so the U.S. government is issuing treasuries. They're issuing debt to pay for things. And then the Fed is buying those treasuries from the U.S. government by essentially printing money. So they're just they're just printing money to buy their own buy their own debt lend to lend to themselves. So why don't they just issue less treasuries? Well, then the government couldn't pay for things, right? So you know the, the, the government has certain things it has to pay for, right? Roads, infrastructure, military, um, you know, weapons to Ukraine, art. I mean, there's there's all kinds of things that it pays for, right? Hot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I say I say art because uh, you know there's a lot of federal uh, federal grants uh, that, that 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 pays for art. Okay. You know, uh, you know, there's most of them are what we call pork barrel barrel spending. You know, some some senator or congressman will say, "Hey, yeah, I want a uh, I want a art you know uh, an art museum in my in my district," and the, it might be funded by the federal government, and um, or or there might be some museum, or you know, there's there's a lot of different things that are that are that are funded. Is that the horse trading? So when they want to get a bill through, someone's like, "Well, if you want me to sign it, yeah, I want a museum here. Yeah, I want a museum. I want a military base. I want um, a freeway named you know after you know me." You know, that's why we have like, you know, Senator so-and-so freeway or, you know, there's there's a lot of things that uh, the federal government pays for. So essentially, they're just issuing a loan to themselves. That's that's exactly what they're doing. Okay. Okay. Uh, and in terms of unwinding, is that essentially paying paying it off? Well, sort of. What, what, what they're doing essentially is, you know, bonds mature. And as those bonds mature, um, they just don't buy them back. Or eventually, what they might do is sell off those 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 bonds, right? Uh, but right now, all they're doing is as they're maturing, they're just not buying back as much as they as they had on the balance sheet. They're just they're just rolling it off. It's, it's what we call rolling down the curve. Right. So, anyone who's a Bitcoin investor, Bitcoin interested in this, um, they should be really paying attention to the Fed now. I think they've always should have been paying attention to the Fed. <laughs> I mean, you know, we. Um, you know, we had crypto winter, you know, back in 2018 and about the same time there was movement in the Fed and it prolonged crypto winter, you know, um, all asked, all risk assets kind of kind of stayed flat or went down uh, and then they changed their tune and started going back up and then you had COVID and, you know, and then everything, you know, all prices dropped and then the Fed stepped in again and then all prices went up again. I mean, it's 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 a it's a cycle that's been happening, you know, since the Fed's existed. Um, the difference is in Bitcoin has only been around since 2010, really, okay. you know, okay. I mean, you know, in, in all practical terms. And we've been in a bull market, a cyclical bull market ever since Bitcoin's been around. So we haven't really seen the effects of a recession, nor have we really seen the effects of Fed tightening, like real Fed tightening like we're seeing today. Um, the last time that we had real Fed tightening was in 2007. Right. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And that was what launched Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So are there, yeah, you know, for somebody like me or somebody listening who uh, doesn't do this all day, every day, are there simple kind of rules that you can follow in terms of trying to understand um, certain things, decisions the Fed will be making? About, okay, that's kind of bullish or certain things that are kind of bearish? Yeah. I mean, 
really when you start seeing the, the the Fed change their their way of speak, right? Like I'm not that smart of a guy, right? I just you know I, I've got like a you know degree in English, right? And uh, and I and I, and I kind of use you know rhetorical theory to you know tear things apart, right? Um, I've got other degrees too, but 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 my main one's in English. Um, How many degrees have you got? I've got a I've got an MBA in in economics, and I've got a master of science, and um, um, and then a bachelor's of English. Got nearly as many uh, degrees as Craig Wright. Have you almost? Got a, can you, can I, well, you bring I him in the, on a wheelbarrow? I, I was the founder of Bitcoin. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> Daniel, start giving me dirty eyes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, are there certain like you know you say you watch their language though? Is it feel like it, if they're starting to you know, tighten things, therefore they're trying to take money out of the economy? There's less stimulate and there's less stimulus, therefore yeah. you know it will be less bullish for Bitcoin. But at a time when they're kind of putting money into the market, trying to stimulate the economy. Yeah, look, I'll give I'll give a few examples, right? And and these are real good tangible examples. Um, back in two thousand eight, it looked like everything was completely melting. The world was falling apart. Banks were banks were going out of business, big banks, right? Mm -hmm. Bear Stearns, Bell. And um, the Fed did slowly start to lower rates, but it didn't really do anything. The economy is still falling apart. It wasn't until February of 2009 that Ben Bernanke made his famous helicopter money speech. And at that point, the markets realized that the Fed was going to do whatever it took to support the economy. They were going to print unlimited amounts of money, if that's what it took. They were going to um, open up the Fed window, which means that they were just going to lend to anybody that needed it at very low rates, and banks could essentially recapitalize themselves. When the markets saw that, and when he made that speech, the markets turned on a dime. And that's when everything started charging forward. Same thing this last year. You know, I just mentioned that um, the, the rhetoric was inflation is transitory and when there started to be questions about the transitory nature of inflation that's when we knew that the fed was gearing up to get ready to do something about it because they do have a mandate to slow down inflation and when inflation got to the levels that it did you know north of eight percent in the u.s north of nine percent in the uk you know they've got quoted, their own problems quoted <laughs> quoted not real yeah by the way, real inflation is like 20%. I know. Have you filled up your gas, uh, your, your car lately? Well, I put out a tweet this morning. Um, record uh, prices on the forecourt, £1.78, £1.78 and a half in the UK. I think one person reported one place that was like 192 for diesel. That I, I worked that, that's per litre. So mm -hmm. I worked out the gallon price. So it's uh, $10.15 a gallon. Um, right. But they think it's going to hit £2. So it's going to hit over eleven thirty a gallon, they think, very, very soon. Yeah. Well, well, you, well you're down in the south right now. and. This is where we make a lot of gasoline, right? Uh, you're close to Alabama, Louisiana, Texas. Uh, this is where where oil is oil is taken out of the ground and then it's uh, refined all around this area. So this is where the gas is cheapest. Diesel six dollars, right? So so if, if not bad. Well, <laughs> but but this is where it's produced. Yeah, I know. Right? It's 120 pounds. 100 to 120 pounds fill up my car yeah at the moment i remember the first time i came to the u.s first time ever and i rented a car uh was it the first time no it wasn't it was when i came for my 30th i rented a car and it cost me like 25 dollars to fill it up and i said like, what, what the fuck is voodoo <laughs> like how come fuel's so cheap it i mean obviously i know because you produce it but close to the source one of the interesting things is uh it's i've learned a couple of things with this obviously there's the expected 
impact on households. You know, if you're if it costs you an extra forty pound to fill up your car, that's then you're driving all the time. Maybe that's a weekly cost for some people. That's they've got to cut cut elsewhere, which means it slows down the economy because people we're not spending in certain areas. But I'm starting to learn on the imp- the impact that has on other parts of the economy. I'd been talking about this thing where I saw about swimming pools recently. I, uh, about their struggling to heat the, the pools for people to come in, which means either raise their prices, cut hours, or cut staff. I just saw another one today. It's a lady said she's given up their pub because their gas, their, the right. cost of gas for running their pub is too high now. So she's right. just she's getting out of the business. And so I've started to realize how uh, energy prices drive a large part of the performance of the economy. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a sensible time to be in a war and cutting off supplies from various parts of the world. Well, it's not just the direct impact, the things that you mentioned, right? It's the indirect impact. So think about this. Diesel is what powers trucks in the US, right? Diesel is up 3x in in many parts, which that means that these trucks are driving all the other goods that people need, food, right? So what's the cost of food going to go up to? Right. And, um, and and these are indirect, but it's eventually going to come into the economy. So if we think that we're at the peak at peak inflation right now and that the Fed is solving problems, we're not at peak inflation. This is going to last for a very long time and it could get worse. Now, we have a CPI print that comes out on Thursday here in the US. And, you know, a lot of people are expecting it to come down from the, you know, 8% clip that we're at right now. Well, even if it comes down slightly, it's only short term. And by the way, it doesn't cover all the things that really matter. That's mm-hmm. CPI. It's not real inflation. They're going to exclude gasoline, which is which is really going to kind of the most important part of a CPI print. That's exactly right, especially right now. What, what does it, how does the market tend to react to inflation numbers generally? Because I, 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 the Bitcoin market, the first couple of high prints, there was like an immediate spike in price and it dropped back down to where it was. So it yeah. didn't really make a difference. Uh, do people just not trust anymore, therefore it has no impact? Is it, are they really always looking at the rate hikes? Well, the reason why you want to look at CPI very closely is because that's what the Fed looks at. The Fed doesn't uh-huh. care about real inflation. The, care, the Fed cares about CPI, which is the official government number. Okay. And a lot of people are under the belief that if CPI, the clip at which we're growing, let's say it drops down to 7.5%, that the Fed might say, oh, we've tackled inflation. Time to you know cut off uh, you know tightening. Um, I really believe what's going to happen is they'll continue to raise rates in June and July, uh, despite what the CPI numbers are, and then sometime in August, September, decide, oh, we've we've conquered inflation, we've we've done everything, you know, right right in front of you know right in front of midterm elections, which is very convenient. But I think that's about the time that they're gonna they're gonna say we conquered inflation. There's a couple of things I want to talk about with that because I spoke to Preston Pish the other day. He was here and he has a similar feeling, but he thinks. He thinks uh, the next print, sorry, the 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 next uh, uh, money print. He said he thinks they're going to print five to tr- ten trillion. He thinks he thinks they're going to absolutely blow any previous uh, injection into the market. They're going to absolutely blow it out of the water, and that just seems insane to me. It's kind of like you get something under control, then you go absolutely bananas. I I think he could be right, and and here's the reason. It all has to do with war. Okay. Right. I mean, you 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 got to fund a war. And uh, without without you know fighting directly into it, and and by the way, if you look at the light, latest bill that was passed, um, you know that was supposedly the Ukraine aid bill. Very little of that actually went to Ukraine. You know, it's just a bunch of other projects. You know, like the art museums we were talking about earlier. You know, I mean, there's just there's all kinds of things that are included in these bills to 
placate the people that are that are signing off on it. Right. And um, you know, it's it's a massive problem in the US. But if they're going to print another five to ten trillion, they're essentially I mean at ten trillion they're doubling the size of the balance sheet in one hit. Yeah, I don't think it'll be in one hit. Okay. I, but I but I but I do think it'll be over a period of time. And that will be positive for markets, you think? Yeah. Well, because think about it, you know, if you have more money to spend on things, you know, the dollar goes down, asset prices go up. But then what? Buy more Republic. Yeah, that, well, this is what it is. This is yo-yo. This is the yo-yo. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is this is Zimbabwe. This is Buy more Republic. This is Argentina. But 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 is it like? Okay, okay. Like I I have this expectation of high inflation, but um, I, I can't. You know, five, ten, you know, real world, twenty percent. But you know, when you've heard of like fifty, hundred, or runaway hyperinflation, could you honestly see in a scenario where the U.S. Goes into hyperinflation, and okay. what the fuck do you do in that scenario? Well, you don't want cash. No, you don't want cash. Um, but it, it all depends on what the Fed is doing, also, right? So right now we're in a really unique situation that's different than two thousand and eight. In two thousand and eight, you had asset prices going down. At the same time, you had uh, the Fed. You know, the, the Fed was coming off of a cycle, right? Right now, we have a really interesting situation where inflation is so high, the Fed has no choice but to raise rates, but the economy has gone down. I mean, if you look around and you say, okay, NASDAQ is down 30% right now. In most environments, that would be a really scary thing, but people are just sort of twiddling their thumbs, you know, oh, well, yeah, it's down 30%. Most big tech companies are down 70, okay. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. People, people don't care as much, why? Because there's still a lot of liquidity floating around in the system. People haven't been impacted the way that they, you know, that they should have been impacted yet. But it's coming, right? But but it, this is kind of a perfect storm of of inflation and markets dropping. Eventually, that's going to hit consumer sentiment, and consumer sentiments are already starting to be hit. Right? People are going to start spending less money, and when people start spending less money and start saving more, but they can't save more because their daily goods cost so much they can't they can't afford to save. Then you've got a real problem. Um, this is going to look a lot different than two thousand eight, two thousand nine. This is probably a multi-year recession. Right. Okay. I mean, recession will be tough. You find a way of grinding through it, but genuine forty, fifty, sixty percent inflation numbers, if they can come to places like the U.S. and the U.K. Uh, and I know Turkey's experienced it right now. I mean, right. there's civil unrest there, and Lebanon's experienced. There's been civil unrest there. I can't myself picture. And I think everyone listening will be like, well, what does that mean for me? Well, like, what does that mean in reality? And have, have you done the mental model of what it means for you in reality in terms of you know, how the economy functions? Like, I, I just don't know what to expect. Like, I, I read what happened in the Weimar Republic. I've read where money dies. But it, I still can't picture living through a scenario like that. I'll lay out a scenario. Let's say that you're 65 years old, which you're not clearly. Okay, you know, <laughs> we're way more vibrant than that. But but let's let's imagine that you're 65 years old and you had been working your entire life. You've been saving your money. You've been putting it in your IRA because that what you were supposed to do. You've got a few million dollars saved up, which which by the way isn't most Americans. You know, you know the ones that are lucky have like two to three million dollars saved up. A lot don't, and that's enough. You know, five years ago, that was enough to hold in fixed income and to earn enough to live out the rest of your life off of your savings. Okay. 
most Americans are probably closer to a million bucks if they're lucky, right? Just, 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 just working class people. And let's say that you had planned on retiring at 65. You worked a really hard job. You're done. 65 years old. I've got a million bucks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to retire. Well, what took a million dollars five years ago in savings to retire all the way through the end of your life now takes $8 million. Huh. Okay. So that's factoring in both inflation, current, current inflation, not, not potential future inflation and where interest rates have gone. So interest rates are, are, are much lower than they were, even though they've been going back up and inflation's higher. So literally nobody has $8 million. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe the top 1% of Americans have $8 million in savings, but nobody does. So, so if you were planning on retiring this year, you probably got to work another five years. Right. That's people retiring. But say a scenario, you're a 43 year old from Bedford. Mm -hmm. You own your house, but you've still got you know, 20 years left on your mortgage maybe. And you've got some savings. You know, you've got a business with a good income stream. You're thinking, well, if this is like a, if we're going to go through like a tough five to 10 years, which could be, I mean, Lynn Alden thinks this is a, the inflation is going to be the story of the next decade. How do you ensure, like, like for one, how do you ensure that you come out of that still owning what you have, like maybe a house and you can still pay your bills? Yeah, your basics. And, and, how, and then secondly, how do you maybe come out of that having protected some of your savings? Because if, I, if you hold it in cash, that's going to get eviscerated. Mm -hmm. And so what are the options? And I know some people will buy vintage cars or property or artwork, but, but is that literally the only option? At the moment, that, that really is your only option. I mean, if, if you own a house right now, you've locked it in at a good price, real estate will probably continue to go up. It may flatten for a little bit just because it's become a little bit more unaffordable, but real estate will continue to go up because what's happening is that some of the bigger, larger, you know, the, the larger money managers out there, they have funds that go out and buy single family homes and just hold them. Right. Right. Because they're not earning the income off of bonds. Uh, bonds have gone down in price since October, uh, close to about 6% in price. That means that, you know, you've lost more in principal than what you've gained in interest. So, so they have these entire funds like BlackRock, for instance, entire funds. All they do is just go out and buy single family homes. BlackRock owns tens of thousands of homes, right? Probably more than that. I mean, I remember during the last crisis, they were involved in the purchase of house. Somehow they were linked in with One West. I can't remember the detail. Yeah, I don't remember either. Yeah. But I remember, you know, I remember reviewing debts. And this is when I was a bigger money manager back in, you know, right after the crisis, everybody saying, hey, this is the next hot thing. You know, the, the, the US government's printing a lot of money. Asset prices should go up. Uh, Housing is at all time low. We're launching these funds where we go out and buy single family homes and just hold them. Sometimes we rent them out, sometimes not. doesn't matter. It's a store of value. It's a store of value. And that's what a lot of people have been doing, a lot, a lot of big fund companies have been doing. And they're going to continue to do that. So even if you or I can't afford a home, or people that are listening can't, can't afford a home, well, they can. So prices are going to keep going up because they're, they're still a buyer. Huh. Okay. So if you already own a home, great. Good for you. You know, if you can afford to buy one, go buy one now. That's, that's going to be your store of value. And you've locked in a price, you've locked in a good rate, because rates are going to go up as well. Um, if you haven't, you might want to do it now. But those, those asset prices are going to go up. If you're, if you're younger, let's say that you're 20 to 35, 
and you haven't bought a home yet, well, you, you're probably going to be renting for a long time. Yeah, looking at one of the charts from the other day, I think, was it Preston who was showing that chart where his, yeah. he showed it was uh, the previous cycles after the depression, mm-hmm. there was a tightening of uh, uh, the money printing and interest rates went up to something like 15% at one time. It's basically, there's like a inverse correlation. Right. And I was thinking, well, if this happens again, and you know, I can afford my mortgage, a 15% interest rate would start to get a bit tricky. That's that's really tough. I mean, I remember, you know, my parents bought their first home in 1981, right? And I think their interest rate was 13%. Did the house cost less than $10,000? Oh, it was like probably 50, I don't know, I don't know how much it was, like probably 50 grand back, back I, then. My parents' know. first house when they bought it was something like 6,000 pound. Wow. It was ridiculous. Yeah. And, but yeah, but they paid that interest rate for 30 years. What interest rate was it? 13%. And I kept telling my mom, I was like, hey, you need to refinance it. They're like, no, I just want to pay it off. Like, no, no, you don't understand. You need to refinance this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to get really tricky for a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I'm expecting civil unrest. Uh, I, th- I mean, we're seeing bubbling of it anyway now. Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to look at other countries around the world. It's, it's, it's uh, foreshadowing what we're going to see um, um, here and uh, in the UK where I'm from, uh, I've got no doubt the increase in violence we're seeing is a result of tensions people are feeling. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of scary times, but the thing in my head, Steve, is like, well, where's the actual reset? Because at some point there has to be some kind of reset. And I don't mean some WEF great reset bullshit. I mean, gen- you know, the Weimar Republic eventually reset. That's right. And Germany had a, st- a stable economy. Um, at some point, this shit has to reset. They can't just print tight and print tight. Like it, something's going to break, and then you get an actual reset. I, I've got no understanding how a reset happens. Um, I think people well, uh, uh, currency lo- tends to last for about ninety years. Is it is it essentially just a complete debt jubilee, a reset, that, and, and and the new currency dollar two comes along? We're like how does? Well, think about it. Germany's had four currencies in the last hundred years. Okay. Right. So, you know, and, and we'll, 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 we'll say the Euro is one of them. Okay. Right. You know, they, they achieved in the Euro what they failed to achieve in two world wars, you know, control of the European economy. You guys got out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I don't I th- know. I think, I think, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've seen our, our debts over some, some like 2.5 trillion now. Uh, one of the interesting things though, is despite the, the U S government's printing so much money, the, uh, the pound has been dropping against the dollar. Can you have a look, see what it is Danny? Yeah, but it's been dropping. Um, yeah. Well, a lot of currencies um, have, have have been dropping against the dollar just recently, and it, and it mostly has to do with Fed action. But you also ask the question about, you know, what happens to the dollar, right? Mm. And if the dollar continues to inflate the way that it does, it, if you look at China, okay, the way that China pegs its currency to the dollar is by holding U.S. Treasuries on its balance sheet. Yep. Um, over the last few years. The U.S. had been increasing its holdings of treasuries on on its balance sheet, but China has not. China's held flat. So that means that they have a, a, essentially what that shows me is that they have a a much more of a stable currency and they're trying to become the next reserve currency. You know, they're they're opening up trade routes with several uh, countries that are commodity producing countries. Uh, they're, They're forcing those countries to trade in renminbi instead of dollars. And it's a really slow game for them. But if the U.S. continues to print money at the scale that, that we're printing, cause inflation, cause inflation, by the way, for other people, 
And by the way, any country that utilizes dollars, this is, you know, this is the El Salvador example, right? When the, the US government prints more money, it causes inflation on the dollar. Countries like El Salvador that use the dollar just got taxed. Yeah. Right. So, which is why they're, they've gone to Bitcoin. Yeah, I do wonder if they're going to launch their own currency again, though, a sovereign oh. currency. I, I, I get the feeling if uh, the U US goes to much higher inflation, it's going to become a real problem for El Salvador. And I could imagine a scenario where they do launch their own sovereign currency. I agree. Just Bitcoin isn't enough, and they can't continue to get fucked by US policy. I, I agree with that. Um, yeah, they're going to have to. Yeah. There's something like, is it like 14 countries are dollarized? Yeah, at least. I mean, there's some that are unofficially dollarized. Yeah. Right, um, like Cuba. C Cuba runs in dollars. They they don't they don't utilize their own currency at all. Yeah, or other people. They have a mixture. They yeah. You know, Cambodia. Most people want dollars. Yeah, that's right. Venezuela. Most people want dollars. Um, yeah, I, I kind of don't want to get too depressive about this, but um, <laughs> I, I I kind of feel like over the next decade, this like this could be super serious, like mm. global catastrophe. Well, it'll definitely be a shift in power, a shift in economic power over the next decade. Um, China's China's waiting in the wings. They're waiting for the U.S. to fail, and as soon as they as soon as they do, they'll step in. I mean, I'm not going to do it for ideological reasons, but do you think the Remember was is a store of value? I hate to say it, but uh, it probably is. I won't do it either. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I don't think it's a good thing. Yeah. You might not be able to answer this, but hey, say uh, you were both uh, the president and the Fed chair, what would you do? Well, as president, I would stop spending money because the more government spending is one of the biggest contributors to inflation right now. And every time we pass a new, you know, quote unquote, stimulus bill or all this, all of these, you know, this rhetoric around, well, we're going to spend our way out of inflation. <laughs> I mean, people actually believe this, by the way. That you know that oh okay well I guess you'll just spend more money and send more stimulus checks and that'll that'll help us with inflation I'm like no that causes more inflation guys and and it doesn't help in the way that you think it does but but really you have to cut spending you have to get rid of all these excess programs that we have you know that just don't make any sense um, we, we you know really have to like crack down on the budget and the less we spend the less inflation there'll be that's number one the the impact on that would be. Uh that temporary loss of that liquidity going into whatever projects, unemployment rising because people within government losing their jobs, the end of like a large part of the rent seeking, but these people then have to go out into the economy and be become productive. Yeah, that's right. And the economy will likely go into a recession, yeah. but have the opportunity to come out of it and avoid hyperinflation, which yeah. is probably a better scenario, but it isn't usually palatable for people who are vote seeking. Yeah. Well, think about this. I mean, productive people, that's, 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 an, I mean, have you ever met a U.S. congressperson or senator and have you seen how many staff they have? I mean, is that, is that really a good use of money? And what was that number we saw the other day or came out, but the, the percent of the U.S. economy, which is, yeah, 40% of the GDP was government spending. Yeah, that's right. That sounds like, you know, everything I learned about what happened under, uh, Chavez in Venezuela was a, a massive amount of income coming in because oil prices is $120. I think one in three employees, one in three people in Venezuela, I think were employed by the state. I could be wrong. Yeah. But when the uh, price of oil dropped $60, they couldn't pay the people. And that's that's where 
it led to the, the hyperinflation situation there. It just you just you just think, oh yeah, well these countries are kind of a little bit corrupt. And then you think so, something like the US or the UK or Europe, you think, wow, they've got smart people in there. They know this. They don't want to go into a hyperinflation scenario. The US is not corrupt at all. Not one bit. <laughs> I don't know yeah. about the UK. Well, I, th I think I think of it as a, a different kind of corruption. I think, um, I, I think uh, God, I, I might sound completely almost racist in this scenario, but I think smaller states tend to have more kind of dictator corruption whereby yeah. they tend to, to hold power where I think places like the UK, UK uh, Europe and US tends to be more more like subtle corruption within the confines of democracy. Right. Well, look, we're not, we're not, we're not murdering journalists for, yeah. for speaking out against you know the government, right? Exactly. I guess that's the definition of corruption. You can't get the hands on Assange, that's why. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Danny coming in hot. <laughs> they might get him soon if Preeti Patel uh, well, the journalists here commit suicide. They do. They yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. They don't get murdered. Yeah, they do it in Russia as well. They shoot themselves in the back of the head. Yeah. Um, but, oh God, it's, yeah, you just think what, if you knew a hyperinflation is, like the best thing is to accept the, the natural cycle, accept that you might lose the election, but do the right thing to avoid hyperinflation. I don't know, if the, but therefore I don't know if there's, is there some kind of, is this some kind of national security issue and it's a game of chicken between countries? You break first. Well, here, here's what happens, right? Because there, there is a game of chicken that's always being played, right? And it's called exports, right? Okay. So if, if the US is producing washing machines and China and Korea are producing washing machines and the US prints so much money that things cost, you know, cost more here, then, um, then, then there's a balance that's offset in exports, right? You know, the stronger a currency, um, uh, the, the the more their their exports cost other people to buy. The weaker a currency, the, the 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 less, right? So, if if we go too far, then our exports begin to cost less because our currency becomes weak against those other currencies. If that mm -hmm, makes sense, that makes sense. So you've got a you, you, there's there's a balance that's always being played, and uh, so so you know. That's why China keeps, you know, having to, you know, step it up because, you know, their whole business is, is exports. Yeah. Their whole economy is exports. But is there any sense in bringing back manufacturing to the U.S.? Is that a viable scenario? Let the, let the, uh, let the currency weaken? Well, I mean, there, there has been really for the last 10 years, 12 years, a, a real push to bring manufacturing back to the U.S. Okay. And uh, it's happened mostly regionally, but also at the at the federal level. There's been there's been a real push there, right? Whether it's the Obama administration, the Biden administration, even the Trump administration, have been really pushing to bring back uh, manufacturing. Okay, and look, if you so if you were the president, you would stop spending. Actually, on that point as well, I I saw this fascinating thing in the UK. Obviously, they're trying to cut spending as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they said they were going to do is. Um, we got the number, didn't we? It was 90,000 employees. Mm -hmm. They were going to, they wanted to let 90,000 government employees go. And I think that was about, I can't remember what percentage that was, but that was the increase in the number of employees in government in the last four years. So, so despite the fact it's been difficult economic times, COVID, the government has continued in the UK to increase the size of its staff. Right which seems completely fucking stupid. It goes back to the point that every government really does need to have a budget. We have a budget. 
this show has a budget. If the show goes over budget, I can't pay my staff. They quit. Therefore, the show dies. Mm-hmm. In the UK, I have a bu- it's so simple, Steve. I have a budget. There's my mortgage. There's my shopping. There's my holiday. And there's some stuff for the kids. If I go over that budget, I can't pay something. Like my mortgage, I lose my house. Mm-hmm. The government does not have a... Well, it has a budget. It goes over budget. And it just takes money off us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, it's so fucking simple. Why don't people fucking realize? Why do we put up with this? Well, it's because of the short-term nature of politics, right? I mean, it's, it's long-term, but it's short-term too. And most people point to at the federal level, the president, at the state level, the governors, and they have limited terms. So they want to do the best they can within their limited time. For the president, it's eight years. So anything that you can push off to the next guy, every single guy will do. Right. So, you know, you, 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 you want to, you want to graduate with the best possible economy possible and then let the, let let the next guy suffer happens. It happens at state government as well. Right. Um, they'll, you know, state governments will always issue a ton of bonds to pay for a lot of infrastructure and a lot of cool things and bring more jobs. And then they leave it to the next person to manage. And then what does that person do? Well, they're forced to now take up the slack and do the same thing. And they just create this, you know, bigger and bigger debt gap and very few states actually have a balanced budget now before we carry on with the interview i do have a message from my amazing show sponsors this show is brought to you by blockfi now blockfi bridges the world of traditional finance and bitcoin empowering you for the future financial world and for people in the u.s who own or are interested in owning bitcoin or stacking more sats the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides you the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin. There are no fees to use the card, no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases, forever. And do you know what? You can also earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every dollar over $50,000 of annual spend. If you would like to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com to find out more and read the terms and conditions all available at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it is Casa. Whether you've just bought your first SAT or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy for you. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it's just a click or phone call away. Casa has the best in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Take your financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, we have Ledger. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S Plus. With a larger screen, it makes it much easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S Plus maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger user since 2017, and I absolutely love the S Plus. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you'd like to find out more, or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Next up, it is BitCasino. 
established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino and is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences and that money can't buy. BitCasino has 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please gamble responsibly. Do you think the this culture war that's blown up over the last, certainly the last four years, uh, but has been you know, growing over the last, last decade? Do you think this is intrinsically linked to what's happening? I, not really. No. I mean, th- this has always happened, and um, you know, and it's always been, you know, the Democrats blaming it on the Republicans, the Republicans blaming it on the Democrats. Um, the, the cultural wars may have exacerbated a little bit, but I. It's 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 really the same story, just just different too. Yeah, um, I don't know if you remember but a couple. Of, you probably did a couple of years ago. We had that other podcast, Defiance, and we made a, a show that you came on. We, we, yeah, yeah. we went on supply chains. How much are you looking at that as well now? Because we've seen um, the actual cost of shipping containers has gone up with the cost of um, yeah. You know, I don't know what fuel they use in the ship, but whatever. Um, we've seen China lo- locking down large parts of its economy, which I also want to know what the fuck's going on there because that seems weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's. So I don't think it's to have zero COVID. I don't know if they're doing dry runs for for war, right? Um, but there's supply chain issues there. Are you looking at that as well? Absolutely. I mean, some of the supply chain issues, look, inflation is being caused by a lot of different things. Um, the majority of it is money printing and loose monetary supply um, or, or loose monetary policy. But supply chains is contributing to short spikes, right? So we had a ship, you know, we had a chip shortage, for instance, which, uh, you know, automobiles just became unavailable yep. for a long period of time or anything that ran on the chip. But then all of a sudden, magically, they all came back, right? So, you know, Christmas time, you know, you, you couldn't you couldn't buy anything with a chip for a long time. And all of a sudden, you had TVs stocked everywhere, more TVs than anybody even wanted at Best Buy. Right. Like, okay, well, where did all the chips come from? Right. And um, so, so, so there was a, a shortage there. Um, food has been a really interesting thing to watch. It's there, there's a really bizarre thing happening, and I don't even know why or what it's attributed to. Where all these food processing centers are catching on fire. Have you, yeah, have you, I've have seen you, have that. You, have you been following this? At yeah, all? like what is it? Like thirty-one? I'm not sure. I'll have a look. I, I mean, I saw like was it the egg one the other day? Yeah, there was just an egg one, and then there's been like milk facilities, and um, you know my my my, my co-founder just had a baby, and she kept buying you know formula. She she she's been sending me pictures. She's like, we got to write an article about the formula, so you know supply shortage. There's no formula on the shelves. So, so I have seen about these uh, food places that have been gone up in flames, and uh, and I've seen the natural reaction by certain people who are, you would say are more. Uh, Suspicious, conspiratorial. Although mm-hmm. I don't want to say conspiracy feels feels like a wrong word because when real of, things are happening and you're asking yeah, questions, it's a, not a lot of people really conspiracy. Well, a lot of a lot of uh, conspiracies have, have turned out quite true over the last few years. But but anyway, there is this uh, kind of finger point of like, what's going on here? Is this like on purpose? Are they trying to squeeze the economy? So my first question is, well, why? Who benefits from this? Right. Well, who's they? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> right, some secret uh, yeah. black ops to, I don't know, someone going around and firebombing these places. Like, but like, 
I know it's happening, but if it's something sinister, who and why? <laughs> like, I'm trying to answer. It's, it's like, is there some like Chinese Russian plot to fuck <laughs> to starve the US? I mean, it just sounds just completely moronic. Uh, it, it does. Yeah. Uh, so it can't be that because. Um, I would imagine people would be caught quite easily right. without doing that. So is it internal? I was like, well, what benefit does this have to the government? There's no benefit. But but when you start to look into it, actually, I think it was Jeremy who looked it up. He, it, these are actually quite, this ha- does happen. But there has been a, an increase recently. And they think one of the reasons being is all these places shut down during COVID or some of them shut mm. down during COVID. They've been reopened and maybe, you, you know, there's been like staffing issues or parts issues. So there could be kind of a correlation between uh, th- that and like, right. and what's been happening? Maybe they're not making enough money and they're collecting insurance, setting a place on fire. I that, mean, that is a, that's a, that's a. See, fair now one. I'm a conspiracy theorist because I just created a theory. Well, no, that's a th- <laughs> th- yeah. Th- well, I guess I guess conspiracies are theories. Yeah. yeah what do you yeah. find? Uh, I mean, a lot, but nothing. Like, there's been a lot of fires, but nothing sort of linking them, obviously, or anything. I don't mm. know. I think it's just Twitter linking them. Yeah, but I mean, it's certainly real. There is a lot of fires happening. I'm going to say I don't know. I'm just going to say all I know is it's happening. Everything's fucking weird at the moment, Steve. <laughs> Everything's weird. Should we just laugh about it? Drink, drink I, I think that's what you have to do it. You have to do it. Uh, Dan, Daddy, can you uh, bring up um, Dan McArdle? He did a little tweet thread this morning. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get your opinions on this. Um, I, I don't think it's a healthy time right now to be telling, telling people, hey, you should buy Bitcoin. It's an inflation hedge. Uh, I, I'm kind of nervous with that narrative at the moment because some people right. were buying Bitcoin at fifty, sixty thousand dollars to hedge inflation, and <laughs> and uh, not only has the price dropped, uh, they've also had their money inflated away. But yeah. I, I actually, I found this really interesting. So if people listening, Dan McArdle claimed Bitcoin has been an inflation hedge, real, uh, an inflation hedge, reality. Bitcoin responded aggressively to the 2020, 2021 money printing and front ran CPI inflation, and BTC is still way ahead of other assets. So I think this is a really interesting point because the narrative of Bitcoin being an inflation hedge did start in 2020. People were talking about it then. Mm. I increased my stack. I expect you did. A lot of Bitcoiners I know did. Do you think this is just re-narrativing? Well, <laughs> or, or do you think that's actually a fair shout? Like, like Bitcoiners are good at front-running inflation. You know, narratives are simply narratives. Yeah. And I'm going to say that most people want to assign very simple solutions to things. It's like, okay, if there's inflation, you buy gold, then gold will go up when inflation goes up. Actually, that's not true. Okay. Bitcoin, it's an inflation hedge. Why? Because it's limited supply. If you, you know, the reality is assets trade the way people want them to behave. Okay. Very simple. It doesn't matter what things are supposed to do, right? I mean, like good companies are supposed to go up in value. They don't always do that. You know, sometimes bad companies will spike, right? AMC theaters. Remember that? GameStop. GameStop. Literally no business. Things react the way that people trade them, period. If somebody wants to trade out of risk assets and Bitcoin is traded 24-7 and you're running a book and an event happens on Saturday and you can't trade stocks out of it, what are you going to do? Oh, I've got some Bitcoin in my portfolio. Why don't I just sell some of that? And then I'll sell the rest of it when you know the market's open. So that's that's all it is. I think I think people try to get too complex in the way that they assign reason to things. And the reality is, is things simply trade the way that people trade them. Right. So Bitcoin doesn't have a narrative. It really is. Some people are buying a lot of it, and some people aren't. <laughs> if you see it as risk and trade it as risk, it becomes risk. Right. 
you know uh it is risk (laughs) (laughs) what do you think danny i mean i think i think what dan says here is quite interesting because he's basically saying like it, it has been a perfect inflation hedge but only because you timed it right exactly so it's, I guess it's hindsight, like everything. Only because you bought it before Sailor and bought it before Elon Musk, and then we had a run up. Yeah. What I'm curious of is whether any of the people that have sort of seen what Sailor did in the last run up and have been sort of sitting on their hands are going to sort of start deploying in the next, I don't know, year, two years. Yeah. Because people might get a better buy price than Sailor at this point. Average buy price. Like if someone was buying today, where are we at? 29.5? 29? Something like that, yeah. 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 And what it was is 31 average? I think it's something like that. I think it's underwater now. I mean, you can't, you can't buy a billion right now and beat him because you will move the market but you could certainly you could buy small amounts and yeah but but the, the tricky thing with sailor Singh, like people have uh, had a quite a pop at him about his average buy and being below he could own he bought what three billion he's gonna move the market mm-hmm. um but next cycle you know if we do go above 70 or stay above 70 or hit 100 he's in prime position but he, ha- he had he had to buy into this cycle to do that well, I saw an interesting tweet once, and I, I can't remember who, who to attribute it to, but um, it was somebody said, I should have known that when a software company that nobody heard of became famous because they bought a bunch of Bitcoin, that was the top of the market. <laughs> <laughs> but applying my principle really quick, you know, let's, let's go back to gold, for instance, right? Yeah. Typically, gold doesn't go up when inflation goes up. It's usually neutral. Gold historically has always gone up when people anticipate that inflation will happen. Okay. Right. So, so, so when smart people start looking at you know the markets and oh yeah you know we're going to get inflation in a couple of years, they'll start loading up on gold in anticipation. Gold prices go up ahead of inflation, and then they and then they remain stagnant. Okay. And then once the fears are over, gold's the first thing that sells off. Right. So it's that's why it's, there's not a correlation, a direct correlation there. Same thing with Bitcoin. Over the last 12 years, people have been buying Bitcoin in anticipation of inflation coming with with really loose monetary policy. Well, there's been loose monetary policy. There hasn't been inflation, but but Bitcoin's been going up drastically in anticipation of that. By the way, that's not the only reason it's gone up. There's several factors. That's that's just one of them. Because I think it's also gone up because people have bought it because they think it's going to go up. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. That's 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 a risk asset. Yeah. You know? So so there's that's the other factor. And then the final factor is just simply the network effect. The more people own it, the more price has to go up to support the number of people owning it. Right. Yeah. So so those are really the, the three main factors. Well, when one of those factors goes away. Right. The first factor that went away was okay. People no longer are taking big risk; they're selling risk. Well, that causes price to go down. The other one is okay. Well, inflation's here now. Right. We've already bought Bitcoin in, in anticipation of inflation. Now it's here. And now we're going to sell it off and buy those dollars. So that's the other thing. And then, I, and then, and then, from a network effect part, I don't really see that many more wallets being created versus say two years ago. So that sort of flattened out as well. So it's going to take one of those three things to bring it back up. We we also had the narrow uh, the halving narrative, which timed nicely. Yeah. Uh, I I I I think that we talked a lot about. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're a year and three hundred days away or something, and uh, I'm expecting in about a year, uh, when well, when the year to go, the, like the people will be chirping up about that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's more narrative. Yeah. What I am interested in is is more. If people start to thinking, it's think of Bitcoin as a hedge in another way, not a hedge against inflation. It is, but but a hedge against a collapse of the currency. 
And I know that is essentially a hedge against inflation, but but I'm thinking of it in a, in a different way in that I want when if a currency collapses, if the dollar collapses, the pound collapses, I want to hold something that's that's seen as valuable. And you know, yeah. you said property. I th- I'm thinking, you know, I'm not thinking hedging inflation. I'm just thinking I have something that has some fucking value. Yeah, exactly. Does, does gold have any part to play in this? Do you think? I think I think gold has lost a lot of its luster in the last decade. Um, a lot of people bought gold Sorry, into. <laughs> well, it's gold used to be what people used in the place of Bitcoin, yeah. and, and I'm not saying that Bitcoin has replaced it. I'm just saying that what happened in the last financial crisis is people started buying gold in anticipation of of inflation over the next decade. Well, part of that anticipation was that central governments would be buying gold on their balance sheet to support their currency. That stopped happening. That that usually happens in a recession because that's 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 the safety net for for, for a government central bank. But what's actually happened is is, is central banks have, have on a percentage basis have loosened up their gold reserves. And the US Treasuries has replaced gold as the holding instead, which is a really bizarre thing. So so gold just it really hasn't um, hasn't done what it has in the past, and it's lost that store of value, right? Because because governments aren't using it as a store of value anymore. But, but didn't China and Russia bought a shitload of gold? Russia did buy a shit ton of gold back in two thousand nine, two thousand and ten. Yeah, but no, they they China focused on U.S. Treasuries. Okay, and over the last decade, the the gold purchasing has just basically stopped. But if if the dollar starts uh, hyperinflating, it's no longer there for a store of value. Could you see a switch back to gold? Probably not. It'll probably be other currencies that are strong. Okay, a basket of currencies. A basket of currencies. Interesting. Probably with renminbi. So what what is the role in Bitcoin in all of this? Is it just a fucking random? Or because Pres, Pres, Preston talked about this, he he thinks we could see this transition to Bitcoin. I think it could happen. Yeah, I, I think it's going to happen on a more regional basis first. Right. Um, I, I've, and I've always thought this, right? Um, you know, I, I saw your tweet by the way about Monero. Yeah, and I agree with you. If a lot keep, of people don't agree with you, but but I do. Well, there are people who have agreed with me privately, mm-hmm. and they're not going to say it. There's a people who've agreed with me publicly, and there's people who've disagreed. Yeah. Um, I just don't. I, I think if you're going to call something a scam, explain the scam. That's right. You can say you don't like it, or you can say, "Look, I think it fails against uh, Bitcoin over a long enough period of time." But I'm I'm not hodling with Monero. I'm just know there are transactions that I would maybe consider doing. And, yeah. But it's just to me, it's not a scam. But yeah. I've I've said that since when did the fluffy interview is 2018, right? Yeah. I've been saying it since then. It's just. I I've, I've, I I struggle calling myself a Bitcoin maxi because I've always been like, well, Monero is okay. Well, I would even go. I would even go even broader, right? You know, I I personally choose Bitcoin. Yeah. Right. I like the fact that there's potential competitors out there because there's people that have different needs. Yeah. Right. There are some countries. You know, look, it's very easy to track Bitcoin transactions. Yeah. Right. I mean. This is why Silk Road went down because we we we, we traced every single transaction and 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 the FBI went and took it down and took around a lot of people around it. There are some countries that can't afford to for you know for, for the people in those countries where they're very oppressive regimes can't afford to just simply hold Bitcoin because it's not private enough. Mm-hmm. They need something else, 
And that's where things like Zcash, Monero come in. Yeah. Right? I think I have a preference for Monero over Zcash. Sure. My problem with Zcash is my understanding is that um, cracking it is like a Sudoku and not enough people actually using Zcash at the moment. Yeah. And I think there's different trade-offs. We've actually got Seth, uh, the guy on Twitter, Seth for Privacy. I don't know if you follow him. Right. He's worth a follow. He's coming in later today. We're, we're going to be talking to him about that because I, I, I don't know the trade-offs. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have people telling me that you can achieve privacy with Bitcoin, but really I'm going to make mistakes. Yeah. But also with Monero, what is my risk? You know, uh, usually it's um, going into the market and coming out of the market. What, what exposure to have? So we, we've got some someone in to explain to us. Uh, another thing, actually, I meant to talk to you about. We had um, Andrew Desler in yesterday. He's a climate scientist who deba- mm-hmm. debated Alex Epstein. He's also on Rogan's show. He said there's a massive benefit to the economy f- for for moving to renewables. And he said the problem is. A large part of the economy is reliant upon a commodity where the price changes. He said, if you can move the economy so large parts of the grid are from renewables where the marginal cost is zero, you don't have these impact of commodity prices. Therefore, you don't have commodity wars. Now, that's really interesting. Yeah, it hadn't crossed my mind. He was like, yeah, I mean, if you're, um, yeah, he has a price where it costs to charge his Tesla. I assume it's a Tesla. He didn't actually say, but his electric car. And you know, if our uh, gas prices, fuel prices have doubled. Um, has it cost him double to to uh, recharge his car? No, it has increased because part of the grid is powered by uh, fossil fuels. But at the same time, he said, I'm looking to put uh, solar panels on my house. So you can get to a point where even at an, at an individual level, that perhaps you can hedge against the inflation of commodity prices by being electrified. But if you can get to a large part of the grid being renewable, you can't have everything. But if you did, you don't have that commodity prices impacting the economy and 28 percent did he say because the texas grid is now renewable yeah he thinks it can get to 70 percent yeah other people argue against him and he thinks the other 30 you can't you you can't get beyond 70 percent on renewables he i mean thinks, he said he said you could with nuclear yeah no but well it's debatable whether nuclear is no, renewable yeah i get carbon neutral or whatever yeah carbon neutral but he said you can get to you he said the only reason we're not going faster in texas is because of the yeah, incentives hmm. um but but if you get to that point where you essentially electrify your grid from, uh, so you electrify your uh, houses and cars, and you do that on renewables, you suddenly don't have that impact because you did have, like I say, the margin cost is zero. It hadn't even crossed my mind. Now that's really interesting. Well, and, and this is one of the issues with with calling things renewable energy, right? It's like okay, you've got renewables, we've got carbon neutral, you've got you know carbon positive, but are interesting anyway like natural gas you know natural gas just gets released into the air why not capture it right yeah so um you know and, and i think definitions are, are are really big things that people get caught up on um uh, but but all that being said um you know it is it is interesting to get more you know to have more renewable energies whether it's hydroelectric or or solar um wind um Again, the problem with some of those are, you know, they aren't really renewable because you've got to actually build the solar panels with non-renewable materials, or you've got to build windmills with non-renewable materials. I, th- I think the renewable, I, uh, yeah, no, I mean, hardly anything is renewable. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. But I think his point on renewable is that um, it's avoiding uh, fossil fuels. It's yeah, avoiding right. um, uh, increasing carbon in the atmosphere. Yes. Um, he talked about this as well. He did talk about solar panels being, they can, you know, part, large parts of them can be recycled. Um, parts of the uh, wind turbines are, mm-hmm. are, are moving to uh, uh, materials that can be recycled. But also an investment in that will lead to a lower cost of 
building out that infrastructure because you yeah. have the economies of scale and, and these things are improving. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, hydroelectric is probably the most renewable of, yeah. of, of, of all things, uh, which to me, that's why it's really interesting when, um, you know, uh, you know, New York passed that bill to try to shut down Bitcoin mining yeah. in New York. And a lot of the energy that they use is hydroelectric. <laughs> it, they didn't ban all mining didn't they just ban fossil fuel mining yeah, fossil fuels yeah 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 but it's impossible to it's, it's impossible to say okay well i'm gonna get all of my you know my, my source of energy from one thing or another because you know they're it's, not it's, it's a mix yeah because they're not plugged into yeah, yeah and, and that goes to nick carter's point of saying you're essentially saying what data centers can do yeah and sha256 right. hashing is banned in data centers now in new york i think i think that was a, an astute point yeah yeah, so the last thing I want to talk about is um, Senator Lovness's bill, because you've read it through. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I, what's the name of the person she goes on? I can't believe, I'm sure it begins with a G. Anyway, Danny will look it up. Um, so some people, I think, will react negatively because they don't like any form of regulation. I think some people also understand reg regulatory clarity That's is right. useful. Uh, I think Senator Lovness has been smart, and she's front-running anyone coming in with shitty legislation. Uh, I think it's a smart move, making it bipartisan. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a smart move. She's obviously very pro-Bitcoin. Kirsten uh, Gillibrand. Gillibrand, yes, Gillibrand. yeah. Um, I haven't actually read through the bill. You've been reading through the bill. Any key takeaways? Yeah, look, I actually think it's a pretty well-written bill. And I agree that we need legislation here because without legislation, you just leave everything to interpretation. And um, ensure people that don't want any, there, there are people that don't want any language at all, but look i'm in an industry where i need as much clarity as possible so that i can do my job and um but some of the interesting takes that i had on it was i love that there is a, a de minimis transaction amount where you're not going to be taxed because previously you know according to the irs tax code if i were to pay you you know if, if we were up go get pizza together and i'm like okay here's ten dollars in bitcoin for the pizza i'd have to pay taxes on that ten dollars and I'd have to figure out a way to, to calculate that. And if I'm using a centralized exchange or, you know, they would do it for me. And then I would have a bit massive tax bill for all these little microtransactions that I did throughout the year. Um, if you keep it under that $200 limit, now I can go out and pay my hairdresser. I can pay, you know, just, just people for goods and services, yeah. right? Just, you know, as long as it's under $200. And, and I think that's really good. I think that's, uh, uh, I think that's great for Bitcoin uh, in the US, right? You already have that in several other countries. Uh, so, so that's really good clarity and we don't have to sit there and figure out our taxes just for people just trying to make payments, like basically Venmo payments, right? Um, and then I like the fact that there's an inflation adjustment feature on that so that it'll, it doesn't stay stagnant at $200 because what's $200 two years from now? I, I don't know. It well, might, it, might be a hamburger at McDonald's. I don't know. Yeah. It's like that thing. Um, what's that? Uh, I know in the US where if you spend $10,000, you buy something for $10,000, there's that form you have to fill in. It's like a... Uh, you have to report it, don't you? Yeah, that's that's AML. Yeah, yeah but that's never been a has uh, never been inflation adjusted. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So ten thousand dollars today is way different than what it was twenty years ago, when when uh, the the Patriot Act came out. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be very different in five years based on our conversation today. Yeah. So I think that was a really good piece, and then and then I love the fact that she um, actually put Bitcoin under a regulatory agency rather than saying okay it's out there and everybody can you know everybody out there's trying to fight over who gets to regulate it she and she's CFTC. clearly in the cftc which that's probably where it belongs um because it's a commodity yeah i think it's I, I see it as a currency right you know but but yeah commodity is fine you know 
that, that's that's really where foreign currencies are, are regulated anyway. And essentially that removes it from the SEC? Yeah, it removes it directly from the SEC. Um, but uh, at the same time, if you were like to say, try to launch a Bitcoin ETF, that still falls under the SEC. It, oh, it does, it yes. does. Okay, yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you think this makes a Bitcoin ETF more likely a spot ETF? I think it does. Uh, I still don't think we're going to see one in the next year, but uh, this definitely gets us one step closer. Well, what's the holdup with this? What, I mean, there's a ETF in there's a spot ETF in Canada, right? Yeah, Australia, Australia, Sweden. Think, is it? Yeah, there's one in Europe somewhere. I think South America have one. Yeah, yeah. all over the place. Brazil. Yeah. Um, I think it really has to do with regulatory clarity. Um, you know, Gensler's made it very clear that he wants to have a little bit of oversight on the exchanges, which, by the way, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. Some of these exchanges having some oversight. I mean, Terra which Luna, Luna, exactly. I was going to say Luna 2.0. Yeah. Right. I mean, there were some exchanges in the US that, that listed Luna 2.0. I'm a little confused about that one. Yeah. Uh, Kraken was one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jesse explained why he was challenged for I, it. Yeah. I would, I would love, yeah. I would love to hear that. Yeah, yeah. Did you I, see? I, no? I have to. I have to listen. I have to listen to that one. No, no, he didn't tell me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't speak. I'll to have to look I, it up. I just saw it up on Twitter. Um, but he was explaining that. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, it just feels like the U.S. is given ground to other mm -hmm. territories by, yeah. Is Gensler himself the, the basically a problem? Is he holding the keys to all this? Yeah. I, look, I wouldn't call him a problem. I think I think we all want to like you know paint somebody as the as the enemy of Bitcoin. Okay. Um, I actually think that I think that. Gensler is actually pretty intelligent on the subject. And he I think he's really trying to just implement consumer protections in the best way that he can and the best way that he knows how to as the chairman of the SEC. Um, I don't think it's out of spite. I don't think, you know, there's there's you know any any other issue there other than let's just have clarity before we do this. Now, I, you know, if you come from the industry, like, you know, like, like we are, then we're like, there's plenty of clarity. I, I, I don't get it. But, um, mm. you know, I, I, I think that he's just trying to, you know, just check all the boxes. You know what happened? It'll come. It'll get announced. And then the market will crash on its oh, launch. Oh, absolutely. Like every other market product. Yeah, because now you can short it. Yeah, now you can short it. <laughs> all right, man. Listen, just a uh, final question. Uh, Going back to where we started, uh, the Fed will uh, make a probable rate hike, you think, June and July? Yeah, two 50 basis point rate hikes, one in June, one in July. We'll see We'll see in September. There's no FOMC meeting in August. Uh, September, I, I really believe that they're going to hold flat. You know, okay. we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I got to see the data uh, over the next month or over the summer. Uh, but um, if, if I had to predict today, hold a gun to my head. September, they say, hey, yeah, I think we've kind of beat inflation for now. Midterm elections are coming up, you know, is really, you know, what that means. Um, they hold off in September, October, midterm elections happen. There's clarity in the market, market stabilized a little bit, and then they pick up where they started. Okay, so stack cash, and then uh, about September, start stacking some Bitcoin. Maybe, yeah. not no financial advice. Go on a vacation. Go on a vacation. Yeah, leave yeah. the summer. All right. Cool. Steve, always great, man. Love seeing you, dude. I love uh, seeing love you. Love it here in Nashville. And uh, yeah, see you soon, buddy. Awesome. Thanks, bro. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, then please head over to the What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel. And if you want to support the show, all we ask is you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review.